Well, we're going to look at an account of Jesus and a woman at a well. And the kind of dramatic change that that encounter had on her as an individual, but not only on her, but on the whole town that she was a part of. And as we look through these encounters, I believe we are learning something about the missional nature of God himself. The Bible says that as we look at Jesus, we see clearly something of who God himself is. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus through his earthly ministry is constantly expressing and reflecting and communicating something to us of the very nature of God. And we're finding that actually God himself is a friend of sinners. He's a God who is on a mission, a God who intentionally engages with those who do not yet enjoy the life that he offers them. We find that that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't isolate himself in some kind of religious subculture. But he gave quality time to befriending the lost. He entered their world. He entered our world. He met them where they were at. And he expressed such irresistible grace to them that their hearts were entirely won over. And they embarked on a life of following him. These encounters, then, are the place where the fresh water of God's river that flows from his throne meets the salty, stagnant water of the world. And I was saying last time that the river does not flow independently of you and of me. God doesn't do something out there on the streets while we sit in here in our buildings. He works through us, and his river, the Bible says, flows out from within us. And it's often through incidental, one-on-one encounters with individuals that we find that river of God flowing out from us and beginning to touch the hearts and lives of others around us who don't yet enjoy God's life themselves. We're going to look at one of these encounters uh, from John chapter 4, which illustrates that, I think, very, very clearly. So I'm going to read from John 4, verse 1. Uh, The verses are on the PowerPoint behind. You can follow them as I read them through. John John 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Joseph had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus... Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's about midday. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. If we move down to verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. Let's just pray briefly together. Father, we thank you for Jesus and all that he shows us about who you are. And I just simply want to pray as we look into this this morning that you would show us more of who you are and that you would motivate and affect us with that revelation. That you would be glorified in our lives on a daily basis and in this city and in the regions beyond. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we have a very, very exciting account. And the whole story and incident begins with a one-on-one encounter with a woman at midday at a well. And yet it ends within the space of two days with a whole town turned upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A city that is significantly impacted With the gospel. At the beginning it just seems like an insignificant, incidental conversation. With an insignificant, incidental individual. But by the time the story is unfolded we find that there is a massive, significant impact that has happened on a wide scale within a town in Samaria. It's very exciting. Begins with a conversation with a woman and ends up with a town turned upside down with the gospel. And I believe that this demonstrates to us the significance and the potential of some of the incidental and what seems to us insignificant one-on-one encounters that you and I have on a weekly basis in our lives. And I want us to be in faith as we expect these kind of incidental encounters. 
Because although God loves to meet individuals and touch individuals, his heart is for our city and our region and regions beyond, isn't it? That's what we pray for, that's what we long for, that's what God has spoken to us of, that a river will flow out from this place and will affect the city that we're a part of, will affect the educational establishments and campuses that some of us are are part of in our city. Well, how does it all begin? It begins by simple, incidental, one-on-one opportunities as you meet with people on a weekly basis throughout your life. Here, there is a conversation at a well leading to two days of revival in the town of Sychar and the result is a town transformed by the gospel. That's what we long for, isn't it, in our town and the places where we live in. Well, it all begins through this one-on-one encounter for Jesus. So we're going to look at some of the features of this encounter. The first thing we're going to look at is the hand of friendship. I think what's most striking about this account, as I've said, is just how naturally it all begins. It may end with a dramatic work of God, but it doesn't begin with that. It begins with a natural and incidental meeting. It begins with a friendly request for a drink. Jesus has at this stage been in Jerusalem attending one of the religious feasts and he's had an intense time there. He's tired. He's given out. And now he is returning on foot with his disciples from Jerusalem to his hometown in the north of Galilee. It's midday. It's hot They've walked a long way, they are hungry and they are thirsty. And about halfway between Jerusalem and Galilee is the town of Sychar in Samaria. And so Jesus, tired from his journey, leaves his disciples to go and buy some sandwiches for lunch and he sits down by the well. He's thirsty, he's tired. It's midday and so it's hot. But he doesn't have a container to access the water in the well. He has no rope. And at just that moment, by coincidence it may seem, a woman approaches the well with a jar and with a rope to draw water. And so Jesus simply extends a hand of friendship to her and asks her to give him a drink. It's very natural and it's seemingly totally incidental. You see, Jesus here is on his way to Galilee. Sychar is not on his radar. He's not on a life change team to Samaria. He's not door knocking or preaching on the streets. He's actually on his way somewhere else, heading for Galilee. And in the midst of this very natural, incidental situation, Jesus simply extends a hand of friendship to a woman who approaches the well. Now, that may not seem very revolutionary to you, but it did actually represent something fairly radical within the culture of Jesus' day. In order to extend the hand of friendship, there were certain barriers that Jesus had to break through and overcome. They came very naturally to him as part of the Jewish culture of the day. But in his extending the hand of friendship, he broke through a number of barriers. Barrier number one was the relational barrier. This was a complete stranger. It was the first time he'd ever met her. 
it would have been safer just to keep quiet and ignore her. He could have carried on as if she didn't exist, but he didn't do that. He broke through a relational barrier to extend the hand of friendship to this woman. Not only that, there was a gender barrier. This was an even bigger barrier. Jesus, of course, lived in a very conservative culture. And for a man on his own, with his friends off in the town, at an isolated place at a well, to initiate conversation with a woman would have been a very big cultural no-no. In fact, it surprises the woman. It's the thing that she comments on initially. It surprises the disciples when they return to find him in this one-on-one conversation with a woman by himself at the well. But Jesus does not allow this to limit his friendliness. He breaks through this barrier and he extends a hand of friendship. There's also a racial barrier. Not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan. She was ethnically different to Jesus. The Samaritans were a community that were descended from a mixture of Israelites and migrant peoples. So they were a mixed race people. As far as the Jews were concerned, they were foreigners. But as far as Jesus was concerned, this was a friend. And he breaks through this racial barrier to extend a hand of friendship. And then one other barrier that Jesus breaks through is the religious barrier. The Samaritans followed their own version of the Jewish religion. And where pure Jews had their God-given religious center in the form of the temple in Jerusalem, which is where Jesus is coming from, the Samaritans had built their own religious site on Mount Gerizim. And so there was a religious divide between these communities. That meant that for the Jews to mingle with Samaritans was considered to represent a compromise religiously. But again, Jesus does not allow himself to be hindered from this religious divide. He deliberately reaches out and takes initiative and extends the hand of friendship with this woman. I believe that this all reflects again the missional heart of God. You see, Jesus is living in a context where everyone else is building and reinforcing barriers and keeping the Samaritans at arm's length. And in that context, Jesus intentionally breaks through those barriers and extends the hand of friendship to this Samaritan woman. That is, in a sense, the whole theme of the Bible. The Bible records how the decision of men and women to live without reference to God has resulted in a huge barrier between men and women and God. The Bible calls that barrier sin. And the result of sin is that it produces a distance and a separation between us in our own existence and God in his existence. A barrier, a divide. Well, the heart of the story of the Bible is the story of God himself taking initiative to break through that barrier and extend the hand of friendship to men and women in every generation. God breaks through barriers in order to bring us into friendship with himself. 
He embarks on a mission to save us from that awful alienation that is the experience of living without connection to God. He levels the barrier of sin through what he did on the cross. And through that, he makes a way for us to enter into friendship with him. He makes it possible, actually, for us to reach out in a personal decision of faith and take hold of that hand of friendship that he is extending to us. And this mission of God forms the central thread that runs right through the Bible. And yet, it's not just God's story. For those of us who know Jesus, it is our story as the people of God. It's not something that God himself does independently of us, but it's something that we ourselves are caught up in and participate in the moment we are connected and joined to him in friendship. You see, the moment we get connected with God, we are joined in with his mission and we participate in what he is doing on the earth. God himself is centrifugal. That's what we were looking at last time. He's constantly reaching out to those who don't yet enjoy his life and his forgiveness. And when we're joined to him, we're also caught up in that story of outreach and mission to the world around us. Our lives become radically shaped then by the mission of God the moment we're joined to him. We begin to live a mission-shaped lifestyle, which involves doing just what Jesus himself did here, intentionally extending the hand of friendship in incidental ways with those that do not yet know him. Now, you may think when you hear the word mission of getting on aeroplanes and translating Bibles and living amongst unreached tribes in far-off jungles, well, the reality is actually, for most of us, mission simply involves intentionally extending the hand of friendship in incidental ways with those that don't yet know Jesus who come across our paths during our working week. That's where mission actually begins. Whether we get on an aeroplane to some distant land or whether we live out out the rest of our lives here in the city of Winchester, it's about reaching out the hand of friendship to those that don't yet know him. Now, for Jesus, it meant breaking through barriers. I believe for us, it will at times mean breaking through barriers. Sometimes there are barriers on the inside of us. There is prejudice. There may be unfriendliness. There may be the barrier of suspicion that we need to break through. I think for us in our culture, that's a huge issue, isn't it? I mean, our our default response to people who are strangers is one I believe of suspicion often somebody comes and talks to you that you've never met before often your default reaction to them is one of suspicion we often need to break through that if we're going to extend the hand of friendship it may be that there are physical practical barriers it may be that we are just simply too busy with christian things to extend the hand of friendship and give quality time to those who do not yet know jesus it may be that the barriers are in those that we are seeking to reach out to it may be that they have prejudices that they've had experiences of church and christians uh, as part of their upbringing that have prejudiced them against the reality of jesus christ and what he offers them 
And we need to work to break through those barriers at times as we extend the hand of friendship. A lot of what we do on the farmer's market is actually about that. Just seeking to express the friendship of God. And often we'll find that there are folk there who have had very negative experiences of church and Christianity as part of their upbringing. And in order to bring God's life and the things that he offers to them, those barriers need to be broken through. So in the incidental situations of your life, I want to encourage you to do what Jesus himself did and extend the hand of friendship again and again and again. It may be through a friendly chat to the neighbours over the garden fence. It may be through talking to those at the school gates. It may be through uh, getting involved in a tots and tinies group. It may be through offering free tea and coffee on our farmers market teams. Maybe through bringing a friend or colleague to the Middlebrook Cafe. The opportunities are endless. I want to encourage us to make the most of every seemingly incidental opportunity that comes across our path. Not to discount them, not to belittle them, not to miss them, but to make the most of them. That's what Jesus himself models for us here. That's how it all began in Samaria. This is the starting point of all mission. Looking for opportunities to extend the hand of friendship to those that don't yet enjoy the life of God. So the first thing is the hand of friendship. The second thing that we find here is the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, in one sense, this account is a very natural incidental encounter. And yet as the incident unfolds, we find that there is actually a very powerful supernatural element to what is going on here. As Jesus engages naturally and in a friendly way with this woman, the Holy Spirit gives him prophetic insight into her life. Jesus exposes the fact that she's had five husbands and the man she's currently married to, the currently with, is not her husband. Her response is in verse 19, you know, a classic understatement, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. She recognizes there's something supernatural going on here. This guy's not just an unusually friendly Jew. There's something of the supernatural occurring here. That happens as Jesus has prophetic insight into her life and steps out and shares that insight the Holy Spirit's given him to her. She immediately is opened up to something of the reality of God himself. It's a power encounter that Jesus has here. This intervention of the Spirit is the gift, through the gift of prophecy has a massive impact on her. In fact, it's the thing that she tells everyone about as she leaves her water jar and runs into her town. In verse 29, we read, as she runs and, and leaves her water jar, she says, Come, see a man who told me all I ever did. In verse 39, we read that the Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So there's a simple prophetic insight that Jesus steps out in and a whole town is opened up to the reality of who Jesus is and what he offers as the saviour of the whole world. The prophetic word not only unlocks her heart, but it opens up the town to the gospel. 
At first, he's just extending the hand of friendship, and she's a bit surprised. And then he's talking about living water and the gift of life. But then the key that unlocks her is this prophetic, supernatural insight that Jesus brings. It brings her face to face with the reality that God is on her case. That God knows her through and through. That he's not some disinterested being. He's not a historical figure or a distant future hope. Suddenly he's in her face. Revealing the secrets of her heart. A living personal reality to whom she is accountable and who knows every detail of her life and past. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit does. In John 14 to 16, Jesus, in preparation for his earthly departure, speaks of the coming of the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. And amongst other things, he says that when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He will testify of me. I believe we're to expect increasingly as we make the most of these incidental opportunities, the power of the Holy Spirit to come. Prophetic words and insight. The gift of healing as we lay hands on the sick and see them receive healing from God. 1 Corinthians 14 describes the effect of prophecy on unbelievers as leaving them on their faces aware that God is among you. You see, prophecy does that. It brings the immediacy of God to us. People need to know that. By and large, people, even if they do believe in a God, believe in a God who is somehow distant and disinterested and uninvolved in their lives, to whom they are not accountable. Well, this wonderful gift of prophecy brings God close to individuals. This woman knew God close to her as a result of Jesus stepping out in the gift of prophecy. And I want to encourage us as we look for these opportunities, to be ready and sensitive to step out in these things. I want to commend a book to you. We've got a few copies at the information desk. You'll have to be quick to grab one uh, because we don't have a whole pile of them. But Mark Stibbe's book on prophetic evangelism is a book that will stir you and instruct you and encourage you and I believe increase your faith to believe God for these words in incidental situations that will unlock hearts. That's exactly what happened here. There's a couple of keys, I think, to this that I think we can learn from. The first thing I want to highlight that facilitates this power encounter is the issue of faith. Jesus, I believe, acts in faith as he speaks out what the Spirit reveals. A key to seeing the power of God's Spirit released is faith. As we speak out what God gives us, or even as we lay hands on sick people to pray for healing, we act in faith, don't we? And you cannot read through the Gospels honestly without being impressed with the key role that faith has in terms of seeing God's power released. I challenge you just to do a word search through one of the Gospels on the word faith and not be challenged at how key an issue this is to seeing God's power released. 
I'll just give you one example from Matthew 17, when the disciples have been trying unsuccessfully to see a, a, a boy released from demonic oppression. It says, the disciples came to Jesus, this is verse 19 of Matthew 17, privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. I believe we're living in days when God is just encouraging us to believe him for greater demonstrations of his power. I know we've seen that in the last month or so here as a church and other churches in our city, increasingly seeing the power of God touching individuals through some remarkable healings. I mean, we've had a, you know, a front page account uh, in our local paper, haven't we, of somebody that was touched by God's power. And it's happening. It's happening. You know, it's sometimes difficult to keep up with the stories that keep coming back of verifiable accounts of people being touched by God's power and healed. I believe through that God just wants us to grow in faith, increase in faith. Expect this to happen more and more often and with more and more significant effect and results. Faith is a key in this. And uh, we just want to ask God to continue to stir and grow our faith. The second component is flexibility. As, Jesus, as God intervenes in the situation, I don't know if you notice this, Jesus' plans change in a moment. He's been away for a time in Jerusalem. He's been away from home. He's been at the feast. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's on his way home to Galilee in the north. And he has no plans whatsoever to stay in Sychar. He's got things to do in Galilee. But all that changes as God comes into the situation. Many others are interested in what's going on in this woman's life. And Jesus postpones his return home in order to stay another two days in Sychar. The result is, in verse 41, many more believed because of his word. A mini revival, if you like, hits the town It is unplanned, it is unscheduled, it is spontaneous. And yet one of the keys to the effectiveness of it is that Jesus himself is flexible enough to give another two days to remain in the midst of what God is doing in that town. Flexibility. As we extend the hand of friendship and engage with people in incidental and natural situations... And as we look for the power of the Spirit to intervene, I believe we're to increasingly grow in faith and flexibility, being sensitive to God's leading. God is on the move. We have a team, an inter-church team on the streets of our city every Saturday afternoon. You may have seen the banner uh, yesterday as you're walking downtown, praying for sick people. Already we have a number of responses from people who say they met with God and that God healed them. On the first afternoon, there was a woman who came who who had um, a severe back problem. One leg was shorter than the other. She was prayed for. Her leg grew as God's power touched her. She came back yesterday. uh, Sorry, this was the first week. She came back the next week to confirm it's happened. It's sorted. God's touched me. And I can give you... Praise God. This is in Winchester on the high street. 
I can give you a number of examples of ways in which God is touching individuals and there are verifiable accounts of God healing people. So let's be full of faith. Let's be flexible to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, not locked into schedules, but ready to just continue in the midst of what God is doing at times. I believe as we do that, and as we know God's power coming on us as he is increasingly, we will not only see individuals touched, we will see our towns and communities changed, as they did here in Sikar. Okay, one final thing, the message of life. This is another strand here that we find in this encounter. It's not just a hand of friendship. It's not just an experience of God's power. In the midst of that, there is something that Jesus communicates to this woman. There is a message that he verbally delivers to her that is part of the transformation that happens in her life and in the life of her town and community. It is a message to do with who he is and what he offers. And there are two things that Jesus speaks of. In verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God. It is a message about the gift of God. Jesus doesn't present her with a long list of religious do's and don'ts if she wants to somehow take a sip of this living water. No, his message is about a gift, and a gift that is given by God himself. He doesn't tell her what she has to achieve and work for if she's to get her life back on the rails. He offers her a gift. She's giving him water from a well, free of charge. And he offers her living water, free of charge. The message of the New Testament of what Jesus has done and offers is a message of grace. That means it is a free gift. And that is the scandal of the gospel. It's summed up in Romans 3 verse 23 which says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, what Jesus offers by way of salvation is a free gift. It is not earned or deserved or achieved through anything that we do. It's a gift. And the central message of the New Testament is that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary through His death on the cross and His resurrection to make it possible for you to receive the free gift of God into your life in a transforming way. It is a gift that He offers. The message of the Bible is not what necessarily we have to do. It is about what He has done. It is about what He has achieved. It is about the fact that He has paid a price. That He has met certain requirements. So that you and I can now benefit from what He has achieved through receiving the gift of pardon and forgiveness of sin and a new life. That's good news, isn't it? Well, that's what the town here discovers. Verse 42, they said, we've now heard it for ourselves. Now we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. There was a free gift that Jesus offered the woman, offered the town, 
And he offers you, if you've not yet enjoyed the life of God this morning, the same grace that we were singing of earlier. It is also a message of living water. In verse 10, Jesus speaks of this living water. If she'd have asked him, he would have given it to her. Again, in verse 13 and 14, he speaks of the water that I will give him, becoming in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life, that will quench her inner thirst. He's the one, however, who seems to be thirsty, and yet he's telling her that she needs to drink of this water. It's no ordinary water that he offers. It's something that will not only quench her spiritual thirst and provide her with an internal well from which she can draw herself for all eternity. That's some drink, isn't it? Not just a drink that temporarily satisfies you, but a drink that becomes in you a spring bubbling up that you can draw from for all eternity. No wonder she turns to him and says, Sir, give me this living water. Well, that's what Jesus offers. That's what's on offer today. You see, often the Bible pictures our inner spiritual need as a kind of thirst. And our experience of life in this world without God as a kind of wilderness, desert experience. We can have everything the world has to offer. We can have the careers. We can have the wealth. We can have the cars. We can have the kudos. And yet on the inside we know there's a desert, there's a thirst, there's a wilderness, there's something that, that that will never satisfy. Well, Jesus here speaks of what he offers that will satisfy this inner thirst within us. He says, come to me and drink of this living water. For those of us that have tasted of that living water, our mission is to help people discover that their spiritual thirst can be quenched through Jesus. Through the incidental encounters that we face in our lives, our aim is to lead people to this living water that Jesus himself offers. And so as the woman walks up to the well, and Jesus looks at her and extends the hand of friendship, he sees the emptiness within. He could see the pain of five failed marriages. He could see the pain of being ostracized by her society. He could see how she'd tried to fill that emptiness within her through a series of casual liaisons with men. He knew that she was the one that needed a drink. And he offers her his living water. Our role as God's people is to lead people to the life-giving water of Christ that will satisfy their inner spiritual thirst. And the reality is, as we look out at individuals, as Jesus himself did, that there are thirsty, thirsty people all around us. We may in 21st century Britain be wealthier and more comfortable than at any other time in our history, but I tell you, people out there are dying of thirst. A recent poll showed that Britain is less happy now than in the 50s, despite the fact that we are three times richer than we were then. And so whether people are well off in the world's terms or on income support, 
whether they're in the street corner on a Saturday night or they're in the cocktail bars, they are thirsty. Well, we have been entrusted with the good news that there's living water that can become in them a well of water springing up to eternal life. That's the good news that we bring to a thirsty world around us. Let me encourage us then as we conclude to be affected by this encounter here with the woman at the well. Let's be in faith, even this coming week, that what at times can seem like casual, incidental encounters with individuals as we make the most of those opportunities in faith and in flexibility can result in whole communities being transformed. Let's be available to extend the hand of friendship, to break through some of those barriers. Be a fear of strangers, maybe the barrier of people who are a bit different to you and you wouldn't normally speak to. Let's break through those barriers. And let's increasingly be open to the power of the Spirit coming on us so that we bring God's supernatural reality into those incidental encounters. Let's be ready to step out in natural ways in terms of speaking out the things that God supernaturally reveals, in terms of asking someone, do you mind if I just put my hand on you and pray for you to get better? These are steps of faith that we can take. I believe as we do that, we'll know increasingly God's power coming on individuals. As we live in a world full of a deep spiritual thirst, let's be those that lead them to this living water. Let's lead them to the one who offers them the free gift of salvation who can fill them with a spring of water welling up for eternal life. And for those maybe this morning who don't yet know Jesus in that way, you may feel like you're the woman at the well. You may feel that you have had experiences of Christianity and church in the past, and yet you know there's a hunger and a thirst within you. I want to encourage you to reach out to God this morning. We're going to sing one song as we bring things to an end. And through that song, I want to encourage you to, in your heart and in your own words before God, just say to him what the woman said, Sir, I want this living water. Lord, I want your life in me. I want to be changed and transformed. Let me encourage you to acknowledge that emptiness. It's a simple act of faith where you open your heart up to Jesus, you admit that you're thirsty, And you ask him to bring his eternal life into you as a result of what he's done on the cross.